0: Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice.
1: Uh, okay, quick poll to get you going this morning. Complete honesty time. When you think about the book of Revelation, you think, one, it's confusing and weird, and you usually give up. I won't make you throw up your hands, but maybe in your heart you're throwing it up. Uh, Two, it's vitally important because I need to know where I'm going when I die, who I'm going with, and whether I'm getting to heaven before or after things get crazy. Does that fit you? Again, you don't have to throw up your hands, but maybe you want to. Or three, it's completely and totally about discipleship. Stephen, I've never thought it was anything else. Why would you even ask me such a basic question? Which way do you land on that pole? I would guess that most of us probably don't normally think of number three as being the number one choice, but I want to convince you that that's actually the entire reason that this letter was written. It is completely and totally about discipleship. One theologian calls Revelation the most relevant book in the entire Bible. Ever had that thought? (laughs) Brian's over there. He's like, wow, that's a statement. Um, (laughs) I saw the eyebrows go up. Uh, But this is why he says it, because it calls us to remain faithful to the call to follow Jesus' example and to not compromise. But he says, but in order to get there, we need to stop speculating about who's left behind and who's not. And instead, we need to go to prison with John. Uh, Just the place we want to go, right? John, the apostle who wrote the book of Revelation, was exiled in a prison island, which probably isn't as dreamy as we might think of it. You know, an island in the Mediterranean. We're like, there's worse places. It probably was worse than we think about it. He was exiled on the island of Patmos. And when he was there, he wrote... The book of Revelation so that people in seven churches, seven specific churches, could be discipled as dissidents. A dissident is this, a person of hope who, can, who imagines a better future world and begins to embody that world. A person of hope who imagines a better future world and begins to embody that world. If you connect that spiritually, you start to get an idea of what John wanted these seven churches to know when he was writing to them. In Revelation 1-3, this is how it kind of starts off the letter. He says, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obeys what it says, for the time is near. Uh. Blessed, repeated multiple times. It's like hashtag blessed, right? You live in that kind of life? No. Uh, It's a different sort of blessing than we might usually think of it in our current cultural context. But John is pulling straight from the lips of Jesus when he starts this off. He's quoting from this Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he continues on with the Beatitudes. And when Jesus and then John wrote that word blessed, what he wanted us to realize is not that you're wealthy and your health is good and that your car's really nice, but that you're fortunate and flourishing if you hear these words. Fortunate and flourishing. Fortunate are the poor in spirit, not because they're poor in spirit, but because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Fortunate are all who listen to this message and obey what it says. Jesus is saying through John that you and I will live lives that are flourishing if we listen and hear these words and allow them to affect the way that we live if our actions and the way that we live begin to be changed because of these words. And if he's saying that that's what makes us flourishing, imagine what it means on the opposite side if we disregard the words that we're told here, if we don't pay attention to them, if we ignore them completely. It means that spiritually we're going to wither and die if we don't take these to heart and allow it to really sink in. There's kind of an urgency and a necessity to the words that are being tossed out. This book is a letter to dissidents, to people who hear and obey the words of God, allowing hope to fill them as their way of living begins to challenge and to change things in our world. Let's pray and allow Jesus to sink that into us today. So we just say, come Holy Spirit. I thank you that your words bring something within us, that in order for your words to not change us, that there's kind of an equal and opposite that we have to be aware of. We have to kind of be pushing it to the side in order for your words to not change us because there's so much power in them so we just pray this morning that we will allow your word to bring transformation and that out of that transformation that we will be people who bring a uh, a dissident attitude to our world an attitude that says that the way of jesus is different and that's what we want to see help us to be people who are bringing your way in our communities, in our family, in our lives, Jesus. So we give you this space and ask for you to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Revelation 1 10 and 11 names the churches that John's writing to. So let me give you just a quick uh, heads up on who his audience is. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. And it said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So it's seven specific churches. And if you were to see it on a map, it's a uh, mail carrier's route uh, coming from the port going up and around. Uh, So it kind of made sense the order that it's in. But seven in the Bible doesn't just mean seven. Seven means complete or whole. Seven days of creation, right? And on the seventh day, God said that it was? Okay, good, you're awake. Good. Uh, They said that it was good. So the fact that it's sent to seven churches is specific because these seven churches matter to John. But it's also a way of saying that it's to all the church, to the complete and whole church, which means that it's just as important for Ephesus in the first century as it is for Vineyard Hopkinton in 2024. It's to all Christians, all followers of Jesus. And so we're going to read through the letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. So if you have a Bible, feel free to open up. And I want to take acknowledging that it takes time to read through it. I want to take the time to read through it, and I invited some locals from these towns, also known as people from our church, like Stephen, uh, to read to us uh, from these letters uh, and in kind of the way that it would have been read. This is what would have happened if you were in Ephesus when the book of Revelation came. It would have been read out loud to the whole congregation, not just their part of the story. So Stephen, read to us about Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you do not tolerate evil people. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen, turn back to me, and do the work, works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from the, its place among the churches. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Thanks, Stephen. So let me tell you about Ephesus. Ephesus is the most powerful city that John's writing to. It's uh, kind of the big dog. It's in New York City in this part of Asia. Um, It has all the power of Rome, the wealth of Rome, and the religious practices of Rome. And the problem for the church in Ephesus is that they thought they could follow Jesus and still live like Romans. They thought that they could just... Allow it to be the same, that they could assimilate to everything that was going on around them. And honestly, as people who live in an empire, the same thing can be really true for us in our day. And the reason that they're assimilating, Jesus says, is because they've lost their focus spiritually. Says that they're doing the right things, but. They kind of forgot why they're doing it. What's the point? There there's no what? Love in it anymore. They've forgotten their first love. They've lost their first love. Who here has lost your first love? Raise your hand. I know, I know at least a couple of us did, right? Okay. Did you forget who they were at some point? Like momentary forgetfulness? their face just disappeared. No. And that's not what happened to the church in Ephesus. They didn't all of a sudden, like, poof, it's gone. We just forgot what it was to love God in that way. What the word lost means in the Greek is it means to release. And it's actually the same word that, the same meaning for the word that's used for forgiveness all throughout the New Testament. God takes our sins and releases them so that they're no more. They're gone forever. You can't re-pick it back up again, right? That's the whole promise, is that it's gone, that he makes them go away. They're forgiven. They're gone from us. The Ephesians didn't lose their first love. They didn't forget their first love. They released Their first love. They chose to let it go. But the good news for them is that this is saying that they could still choose differently. It's not gone forever if they pick it back up again. Or instead of pick it back up, a better word would be if they repent. Repent in the New Testament, means to turn around or to... I'm going to yell, I'll tell you. just adds up. Change! That's what it's saying. Turn around or change. But it's not like angry, like, Rick, pick it back up right now. Come on, pick it back up again. Okay? It's not that. It's the desperation. Have you ever seen your kid or somebody else's kid or an adult who's being really stupid do something dumb and you're like oh my gosh, this is so painful. I can't handle watching it. It's like they got their hand on the saw blade and another finger on the power button. And you're like, please, Jesus, stop. Like, stop, turn around, pause. Think about what you're doing. Don't do it. Change. There's still time. That's what this word means. It's a cry of desperation. There's still time, but there's not much. So I am going to do everything in me to try and get your attention so that you can do this differently. Don't just keep going. Stop. You don't have to lose all your fingers. And this desperate cry is echoed through these letters because God is desperate to get our attention. Herman and Rennie, you guys can come on up. The desperation is heard really, really clearly in letters to two other cities, Pergamum and Thyatira. I had to practice a lot to make sure that I could say that one right. It just does not seem right to me. But, Rennie, aka Pergamum, will you read to us your letter? Yes.
2: To the church in Pergamum, this is a message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teachings is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And then Thyatira, hermit. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flame or fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. I know all the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all the things. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to lead my servant astray. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Thank
1: you. Okay, before you go, I gotta ask. Rennie, what is Balaam famous for? I didn't I didn't tell you I was gonna ask you this. (laughs) Do you remember him from the Old Testament? He He had an animal Animal talk to him. Yes, there you go. He had the donkey talk to him. Do you know who Jezebel was? Who's Jezebel? uh, She, well, who was she as a person? Ah, okay, good. She was a queen of Israel. Okay, thanks, guys. No more Bible quizzing. Balaam is famous for having a donkey talk to him. So how does this connect? What is this saying to us? Balaam had a donkey talk to him because he was on his way to go prophesy against Israel for money. He was a prophet for hire, which meant that he was willing to disobey God if he got something out of it. Craig Keener writes that Balaam attempted to sanctify the values of culture by providing theological justifications for them. Balaam attempted to sanctify the values of culture by providing theological justifications for them. Balaam is not the only person in the history of the church who has done this. Just look at the past century, I can give you three very, or two centuries maybe, three very obvious examples. One, South Africans in the room, you get a shout out for your Dutch Reformed pastors doing this really well, uh, creating kind of a theological premise for apartheid. The German Lutheran pastors did a stand-up job of creating a theological premise (laughs) for anti-Semitism so that Nazi Germany could do what Nazi Germany did. And here in America, we did it for a couple hundred years. Uh, we, we joined the North and the South together in this goal of creating a theology and ethical standard around the Bible that allowed for racism and slavery, Harvard professors joining with Southern pastors to create this. He was willing to disobey God if he got something out of it. Jezebel. Jezebel is not the name of a leader in their church, but she is the name of a past queen of Israel who was married to Ahab, who was a terrible guy in his own right. He didn't need help, but she gave it anyway. And Jezebel led Israel in uh, more and more uh, worship of other gods. And she was, tar- like she was uh, the primary assassin of all things prophets in Israel. She wanted to take them all out, destroy everyone who was worshiping God. What we're being told here is this warning. Churches, Don't quietly allow false teaching to keep growing among you. It's going to infect the whole system. If you don't speak up before it's too late, it's going to take over. And we have to be willing to ask for us today is, are there ways that we are in danger of following a theology that might allow us to grow in power and wealth? But is definitively anti Jesus. Are there systems and ways at looking at following Jesus that lead us down that path? And if we've fallen into that, then John and Jesus are crying out to us and saying, guys, change, please, soon. Don't hit that power button. And when when we change, we're told in verse 24 and 25, I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. We're encouraged to not give up, but to hold on to the truth that Jesus gives us. There's two outliers in the letters. So Marcos and Songji, come on up. They're the churches in Smyrna and Philadelphia. Two churches that are actually not told to repent, which is unique. So, Songji, tell us about the letter to the church in Smyrna.
2: It's on. This is the message from one who is the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. <laughs> 那位已经逝去的,但是现在已经复活的。I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. 我知道你的受苦和你的贫困, 但是你是富足的。I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. 我知道那些迫害你的。他们自称是犹太人,但是他们并不是。don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you You will suffer for 10 days But if you remain faithful even when facing death I will give you the crown of life 不要恐惧那些你将要受到的迫害魔鬼会将你投入监狱去试探你 你终于你的信仰, 而且不惧死亡, Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches 谁有耳朵的必须聆听圣灵之声 而且理解他在说什么? Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death 圣力, 圣, De de humanos, ¿no de
3: mensaje a la iglesia de Filadelfia escribe esta carta al ángel de la iglesia de Filadelfia Gracias. este es el mensaje de aquel que es santo y verdadero el que tiene la llave de David lo que él abre nadie puede cerrar Lo que él cierra, nadie puede abrir. Yo sé todo lo que haces y te he abierto una puerta que nadie puede cerrar. Tienes poca fuerza, sin embargo has obedecido mi palabra y no negaste mi nombre. Mira, eso es que perteneces a las sinagogas de Satanás. Esos mentirosos que dicen ser judíos y no lo son. Los obligaré a que vengan y se postren a tus pies. Ellos reconocerán que es a ti a quien amo. Dado que has obedecido mi mandato de perseverar, yo te protegeré del gran tiempo de prueba que vendrá sobre el mundo entero para probar a los que pertenecen en este mundo. Yo vengo pronto. Aférrate a los que tienes para que nadie te quite tu corona. A todos los que salgan vencedores, los haré columnas en el templo de mi Dios y nunca tendrán que salir de ahí. Yo escribiré sobre ellos el nombre de mi Dios y ellos serán cuidados de la ciudad de mi Dios, la Nueva Jerusalén que desciende del cielo y que de mi Dios y también escribiré en ellos mi nuevo nombre. Todo el que tenga oídos para oír, debe escuchar al espíritu y entender lo que él dice a las iglesias. I asked, or I gave them permission if they wanted to to
1: read it in yeah you're good to read it in their language in Mandarin and in Spanish because honestly I feel like the church in other parts of the world This letter is more to them than it's probably to us, if we're being honest. The church in America isn't the powerless. We're not the persecuted. They are. And to them, you can hear the cry, the the depth of heart that God has for churches that are powerless and persecuted. The church in Philadelphia, we're not really told why they're powerless. I don't know. Maybe they were small. I don't know what it was. But God saw them and said that he was going to open the door even wider so that they could have more influence. Christians in Smyrna had been persecuted, and it wasn't going to stop. That was the message of their letter. And God speaks to them and says to hold on. The church in Smyrna was persecuted because the jewish folks in the city decided that it was time to take some action against these heretic christians and so they went to the roman officials and they said hey you know how we have an an excuse for not worshiping caesar well they don't they're they're uh they're they worship multiple gods they worship god and they worship jesus and if they can worship two gods then what's the third one to add on to it they can worship caesar And Rome took this and ran with it and said, yes, we have somebody to make an example of now. And so they went and they took away their ability to say no and to not worship Caesar. And instead they said, you have to. And then they they taxed them heavier. They took them out of the positions of power that they had in the city. And they physically persecuted them. They beat them. And there are lots of stories from that town. They were beaten for not bowing down to Caesar. And you could hear Jesus crying out from that passage in Matthew 5 that I mentioned earlier and saying to those churches, fortunate are you who are persecuted because of righteousness, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Fortunate are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you those two churches i think are churches outside of the u.s but the last two that i want to read if joshua comes up are sardis and laodicea and i think they speak to the church to weaknesses maybe and us today
0: This is the message from the one I
1: think it's off. Oh.
0: There you go. Okay. There you go. All right. This is the message from the one who has the seven sw- sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold firmly to it. Repent and turn to me again. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who've not soiled their clothes with evil, I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine. Anyone who with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches.
1: Thanks, Joshua. How do you turn around when you're dying? They're dead. They look like they're dead at least. So decades before this letter came out, Sardis went through a massive earthquake. And archaeologists have uncovered the trace of these... Buildings that all collapsed. And then what was built on top of them was weak. Short buildings. You could tell that they were afraid to rebuild their city. They stopped living because they were afraid of what was going to happen to them. They gave up. The earthquake was terrible, but these people didn't die. I'm sure there were people who died, but they didn't. And instead, they chose to hold on to the fear and to stop living in the same way. Unlike the other churches, this isn't uh, credited to Satan. This is the only one not credited to Satan. It is a self-inflicted wound. And you can hear the cry of desperation saying, stop binding yourself up by fear. Stop keeping yourself trapped because you're the one doing it. Nobody else is holding you there. You can release it. You can do differently. Death isn't necessary, so stop harming yourself. And I think for us, there's an encouragement to say, wake up, don't fall for that. Turn around and change To the church in Laodicea This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you're neither hot nor cold, and I wish that you were either one or the other, but since you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. So Laodicea had bad water. was filled with sediment. You wouldn't drink it. It was pretty gross. They piped it in. They piped in nice, beautiful, cold spring water from the mountains, and they had it coming down. I'm sure that that was a uh, Rome thing. Uh, They were pretty good with some of those plumbing things. And then from the north, they piped in boiling hot water. But you know what happens when you pipe in both of those things into the same water system? Do you have boiling hot water or nice cold mountain spring water? No, you don't. What you end up with is gross, lukewarm water. That tastes kind of bland and boring, and it's kind of hot which just makes you feel a little nasty when you take a drink of it, right? And so you take a sip and it's like tastes like iron and you just want to spit it out. It's not good for much. This was a source of pride for the Laodiceans. They could pipe in their water from anywhere. Yeah, but what you get is nasty, mediocre, and gross. Here's the sin of the Laodicean church and the call to us. It's that they thought they had enough so they rejected what God had for them. But the truth was that their enough was mediocre and it was not worth bragging about. And friends, friends, if there's something that we can learn from in these letters immediately, it said just because you can do it on your own doesn't mean that that's actually the best. God's best is so much better for us. Stop trying to make it on your own and actually trust that your father has something better for you and let him lead you. It says that we're fortunate that we've been given these words. And I hope that as we dig into the book of Revelation, that we're going to allow ourselves to hear these warnings and to allow ourselves to be changed. Because the message is the same for us as it was for those seven churches. Hurry. Like, pay attention. Watch what you're doing. Change. Change desperately change now there's still time or again another word for it is repent and so what i want to do is i want to kind of give us space to enter into the season of lent which begins this week with ash wednesday by having spaces for us to repent this morning maybe what you need to do is this is why there's all the water is you need to come and to this one or that one and wash your hands and kind of allow the water to wipe away the things that feel like they're like soiling your heart and give it to Jesus. Maybe you want to go to the other side and there's things that you've been holding on to desperately. Unforgiveness, hurt, pain, Sin that you haven't wanted to get rid of that you know is there. And you want to drop it into the water and allow it to dissolve as you're praying and giving it to Jesus. Or maybe you want to come forward to the altar and take time during worship to just come before Jesus and to reconnect with your first love. These are going to be open during the entire uh, worship set. So it's fair game to come up whenever. You can go to the back. I tried to make it so you didn't just have to walk in front of everybody. Uh, And if you're like, I don't want to do it on my own, grab whoever you came with or a friend that's around you and come up together and do it together. But take time this morning to settle your heart before Jesus and to allow him to come and to cleanse you, to turn back, to change before it's too late let's pray and as we pray i just want to take a second and just pause and allow our hearts to settle before jesus and invite him to speak to us so we just say come holy spirit and reveal our hearts to us this morning Jesus, I thank you that when we bring our sin to you, that you don't, you know, tack it, pin it to the wall and say, look what I did for you. But that you do just release it. God, I pray for this morning for release. Release from captivity. Release from the self-inflicted things. Release from the (laughs) The things that have held on to us for a long time that we've been afraid to give up. Come and bring freedom to us. Take it away. I pray for courage to be able to connect with you in ways maybe that we haven't connected with you in a while because we've allowed these walls to remain up. But we just say yes to your call that it's time to wake up. We want to reconnect this morning. So we say, come Holy Spirit, and meet us in this place. In Jesus' name.